don't be a dumbass and go get an education because it's there for you and you have it available. It's not about deserve. It's about opportunity. So get your ass in gear and be better than we are. But whatever you do, have fun at that and love that. Hello, and welcome to the Circle 5 podcast. My name is Mallory Patrick Pollard. I'm an artist living in Los Angeles, California. Circle 5 is a podcast dedicated to conversations with artists and creative professionals where we discuss the topic of work, life, and creative balance. From my personal experience, I believe that there are five different circles of relationships or circles of social interaction that exist inside the life of every artist. I'm curious to know how these circles have impacted my guests and how they navigate them in their day-to-day lives. I feel so fortunate to speak with artists who are longtime friends or new acquaintances. And for this episode, I'd like to introduce you to Jonathan Russell. He's a photographer and filmmaker on Maui, Hawaii. Jonathan has been shooting professionally for over a decade, and he's currently recognized as being amongst the top architectural photographers on Maui, working with ultra-luxury real estate agents, designers, architects, and builders. His work has been published in many global, local print, and online publications, including Dwell Magazine, The New York Times, Luxury Home Magazine, Homes and Land, The Spaces Magazine, Hawaii Luxury Home Magazine, Maui No Ka'oi Magazine, Island Sotheby's Magazine, and many more. He's also had his work featured on a segment for Hawaii News, KHON2. I'm looking forward to no longer saying disclaimers or offering apologies to my early guests, as it's taken me a very long time to edit and publish their episodes. Only Jonathan will know what is outdated from this conversation, but I admit it was from a few months ago. I'll also share that this was Jonathan's first podcast appearance. So to soothe his nerves, he was sipping on some bourbon while we talked. Just so you know, he is completely unfiltered and uncensored. You'll understand the words that he's saying. He's completely coherent in this conversation, but I just wanted you to know that going in. At some point in the episode, you'll even be able to hear birds tripping behind him. So he's completely laid back and having the best time of his life in Hawaii, and I hope that comes across in our conversation. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Circle 5 podcast. I hope you enjoy it. And without further ado, here's my talk with Jonathan Russell. Jonathan Russell, how are you, man? It's so good to see you. Thanks, Mallory. I'm doing great. It's awesome to see you every time makes my face do this. Oh, yeah, man. It has been a very, very long time. But what I'd love to do for every episode, John, is kind of tell the meet cute story. Like, if I've known my guests for a while, how did we meet? How do we know each other? And I'll give you kind of what my impressions are of you or were of you. And you can throw them right back after. And keep in mind, you'll be setting the tone for the conversation then based on what you say about me. <laughs> but <laughs> Jonathan, Jonathan and I met this has got to be, it's, it's, it's 15 years ago. It was 2007 in Sevierville, Tennessee. We worked for Wyndham Vacation Ownership. The short version of the story is that we were trying to sell timeshares and it was kind of bonkers, but we had such an incredible staff that we worked with. We were this really quick family, this maj page of different backgrounds and different types of people. And we all just loved each other so much. And we'd go out with a group of friends and do beer nights right down the road from our sales office. So shout out to who? Amber Massey and to Nick Holcomb. They're going to listen to this, man. Josh, his brother Josh would come. Yes, man. We would have such a blast. And I always remember you, John, as a consummate professional, but Ah, just so laid back and so funny. We were always laughing whenever John was around. And since then, we have gone our separate ways. We haven't seen each other in a very long time. 
but I've loved following your work on social media. What you're doing in Hawaii is incredible, man. So that's my take on you, Jonathan. I'll flip it over to you. What's What's been your impressions of me? At, you yeah. bet. Yeah, I totally remember the moment where we first actually connected, and it was a rub. I was telling a story <laughs> about something falling on my head, and I was like, oh, and I had to dodge out of the way. And at the time, I still had a really thick Southern accent. And I rem- I'll try to replicate it. I remember saying, and you know, you got to dodge because nobody wants a black eye. And you thought for sure. I just said, nobody likes a black guy. There it was. Yes, and you right. were heated. And you just came straight up to me and was like, that was some fucked up shit you just said. <laughs> and I was like, man, I don't know this dude, but I really like his fire. What are you talking about? And you let me know what I just said. And I realized that we just had a miscommunication and we were tight. Ever since, man, from that moment, you, I remember you even, you were like, well, I'm still fired up, but I'm embarrassed, you know, and I was like, yeah, it's cool. Oh, I should gosh. speak more clearly, you know, so, like, after that, we got tight, you know, and, and I loved the conversations we would have. We'd sit in the break room with our managers outside telling us we should be studying the book of resorts when really we're just like, yeah, 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 whatever. I already know the whatever. fucking book of resorts. Like, That's right, man. Let's talk about real shit, you know? That's right, man. Oh, John. Yeah, dude. I, I That's fantastic. What a great I, memory. Yeah. You know, I love that memory. I cherish that memory. And I ta- it taught me a lot. It taught me a lot about sensitivity in a moment. It taught me about enunciation, you know, and taught me more about the place where I grew up. Thank you for reminding me of that. That is right. That is how we met. I have been known to keep my white friends in line from time to time. Well, you should. We all need it. You know, uh, it's been good for me to live on an island full of brown people. No, yeah. I can't wait to get into that, man, and to, to listen and talk about your transition to Hawaii. So I'm super excited, man. What this podcast and this conversation is about, it's kind of a deep dive into the relationships of your life. And it's about how those relationships are affecting, helping or not, you know, your creativity work, life, creative balance, you know, how are you doing with it? And what are some insights you can possibly give me because it's something I need to work on and learn about. So if you're ready, I'm ready. We're going to dive into circle five. And as the title suggests, we're going to go through five circles of your relationships. Circle number one, I think it's pretty inevitably family. And we're talking mainly about when you were brought into this world, you were born, you know, who was around. So let's start with the date, man. When were you born? How young of a guy are you these days? I was born on September 28th. 1977. 1977. Make me do the math. I put you at 45, my man. Or going to be 45. I'll be 45 this year. That's right. God bless. And where were you born? Where'd you start out? I was born in Indianapolis. How much do you know of the ancestry of your family? Where are the Russells from on both sides of the family? That is a really perfect question for this time in my life. During the pandemic, my mother completed the, the total genealogy of both sides of my family. And her side of the family is, as you would guess, all very, you know, Western European, pasty white skin. No, uh, no. He's <laughs> out. We, we like, out, we like you know. white people on this oh, show, that's cool. John. No, it's <laughs> totally cool. It's totally, there's a point to that statement. Yeah. And yeah. it'll all circle around in just a moment. So growing up, I was told that my father's side of the family came from no one knew where, but they knew there was a lot of Native American in the mix. And there were stories of how that happened. During her research, she found that every one of those was a lie. Oh, wow. Every single one. There's absolutely zero Native American heritage in my blood. And it was a lie that stemmed from a census count. Now, here's where it gets weird. Five greats ago. So my great, 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 great grandfather 
was a black man who was a slave named George Washington Russell. Are you serious? I'm 100% serious. And he was freed. And then later when the census came around, he lied on the census because unfortunately during those times, it was safer to be Native American than a free black man. And so my family buried that. You know, I don't think my, my dad ever knew. He probably didn't know. Probably my grandfather didn't know. They probably were all given these same stories. You know, and uh, my sister, as soon as she learned, she was like, I just can't wait to confirm this. Let's do the 23andMe. Boom, West Africa. It's there. So uh, my time during the pandemic was really kind of going through a little bit of an identity shift, if you will. There was a weird, strange mix of emotions that came with that. Not that I'm entitled to anything in this world, but definitely I was pissed off uh, for not knowing this, you know, and that, that this had been buried for so long. And it's like, man, I could have been learning so much more. I could have not said dumb things at Wyndham, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I knew you were, yeah, <laughs> I knew you were going back to that. No. But, and uh, yeah. Yeah. Dude, so that, so yeah. really I'm still learning where that side of my family is from the, the Caucasian side of my father's side. I'm still, it's a giant book that my mother put together. Um, wow. But I came from some pretty smart people, you know, my, my grandparents were smarticans and, uh, my grandfather, my grandfather wrote a set of English books that the state of Indiana used for seven years from grade school through high school. My grandmother wrote the instruction manual on how to build an M1A1 Abrams tank. She wrote that for the U.S. government. Together they taught some people in Egypt how to run and operate a tank building factory. That's incredible, man. Yeah. That is so, so wild. And you're kind of like segueing into one of the questions I have in circle number one pretty perfectly is that, you know, was anybody in your family creative by nature, possibly artistic? And you kind of already mentioned that there was some writing going on. So does it apply to anybody else in your family? You mentioned your grandparents. Were there any other artists in your family, you know, while you were growing up that you knew about? Yes. Yes. Uh, my uncle Mick was a remarkable artist. He was a visual artist. He could draw. He could sketch. He also built instruments. Uh, he could pretty much do anything he wanted to. He was a woodcarver. My mother was also had the same talents in artistry, like draw, hand-drawn artistry. My father was a musician and also a woodworker of 38 years. Wow. Yeah. And were these their professions while you were growing up? Like, this was just what mom and dad did? Um, no. My, my dad, yeah, as a profession, he was a woodworker. So he was a Finnish carpenter. He, he did all the custom high-end fancy trim work in the houses and staircases and whatnot. Uh, my mother was an administrative assistant at a trucking company. <laughs> you know, she was like a turbo typer. Like she, That's cool. she could throw down on a keyboard, you know. <laughs> I feel like I probably know this somewhere in the back of my head, but who was at home growing up? Did you have brothers and sisters or yeah, I totally am forgetting that. That's right okay. Now, it, a lot of it you wouldn't know. Um, <laughs> and that's okay. And I'm excited that you're going to know today. So, Growing up during the little years, it was my sister and a half-brother. Same dad, different moms. And he would visit, but my sister and I lived in the same home. And then my parents split when we were pretty young. So then we got two Christmases and two birthdays, and it was awesome. Throughout the course of my life, we traded houses for times. You know, a year or so here, a year or so there. But we always visited back and forth. Moved a lot. You know, there's just a, it was actually a rather... Uh, I guess one could say it was a tumultuous situation, but we didn't know that. You know, we were just riding bikes and (laughs) picking crab apples and shit, you know? (laughs) And then in my later years, we moved to Tennessee, my father and I, and that's where he was from. That side of my family is all from East Tennessee. So we moved down there when I was like 12 
and I stayed there, you know, lived on a farm and then I had five stepbrothers and sisters that, oh my, that moved in with us and we lived in a three bedroom, one bath house. Wow. Wow. So not traditional by any means whatsoever. No. And I always, obviously, I'm circling everything back to artistry and how you ended up being creative. It sounds like it was very much about the wilderness running around, running free with all these siblings. But, you know, actually, yeah, I I can get to this question, I promise. No problem. (laughs) Yeah. Was there some kind of narrative that your family put forward, whether it was kind of subconsciously or maybe even consciously, about what your adult life was, quote unquote, supposed to be? Did they say, hey, you better get that steady job? Or was it just wide open and say, hey, if you want to be a rodeo clown, have at it? You know, what, what was kind of the, the vibe in the house? I'd say it was a combination of the two. It was very much, don't be a dumbass <laughs> and go get an education because it's there for you. And you have it available. It's not about deserve. It's about opportunity. So get your ass in gear and be better than we are. But whatever you do have fun at that and love that. So there wasn't pressure to like, go be a doctor or Mm. go be a lawyer. In fact, when I was a small child, I wanted to be an astronaut. Legit. I was ready to go to space camp. It was cool. Then I learned I was blind in my right eye and that went out the window. Like I'm lucky to drive a car, you know, (laughs) man. that's okay. Uh, I actually flew a helicopter recently and that was pretty dope. Wow. Yeah. So there was no pressure about any particular career. You know, my dad was a musician as a hobby. He was in a cover band for a lot of my childhood. I picked that up at the age of 10 and, you know, I've been bending guitar strings since. That's incredible, my man. And that part about you, I really do remember. I remember you being a guitar player and a really good one as well. So I'm wondering, present day, you got all these siblings, half siblings, that kind of thing. What's your relationship like with your family now? I mean, you live on Hawaii. Are you guys in contact very often? Do they just love what you're doing out there with all your photography? Kind of give me, you know, present day about the Russells and, and how they feel about your stuff. Present day, I, I speak to my mother almost daily. Uh, she lives in South Florida. Yeah. She's having the time of her life down there, just doing old lady things. But she's not old. So if she's listening to this, you're not old, mom. It's cool. Um, <laughs> But no, she's having a good time. She's running around, living life. Uh, I talk to my sister every now and then. I don't speak with my my half-brother that often. We've tried to connect over the years. We lost touch when I was really young. He got into some trouble and went away, you know. And um, yeah. We re- reconnected right before I met you, actually. And oh, wow. um, my dad passed away right before I met you. So you wouldn't have known that either. It wasn't a time I was running around talking about it. So I don't really... I talk to him, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's different. Uh, yes. my step siblings, there's one of them that I stay connected with. I actually just recently reconnected with her, my little stepsister. Her name's Jennifer. Uh, she's doing great, man. She's got kids, you know, husband, little boy, a house in Tennessee, a job doing her thing. She's a realtor over there, you know, living her best life. And I'm proud of her. I've been kicking around trying to reach out to the others. You know, we all had different paths and I had to go through some of my own healing for a while to, mm-hmm. uh, figure out who and what I was. So it's it's time. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. It sounds like you've been healing a lot in that area of your life. I can only imagine your mom is incredibly proud of you, John. And um, I am so grateful that you shared all this with me. I'm glad I'm getting to know more of you, my man. I feel like that's a good wrap up on Circle One. Circle Two is pretty close to it. And yeah, we'll just go right into it. So we already were there, but let's rewind again to kind of these kindergarten through 12th grade years, ages five through 18, because I feel like Circle Two John is 
is really the relationships about the community where you were raised. So it sounds like that was kind of a non-traditional answer to begin with. So to kind of run it back for us again, born in Indiana, but then by 12, you ended up in Tennessee. If you don't mind, talk to me about like, what was school like then for you? Like, do you remember starting school and then switching schools and all that stuff? Yeah, you bet. So my dad moved around a lot and my mom didn't necessarily. She moved maybe two times in my youth and then she, her second time was her buying a house, you know, and that was where she lived. And as a single mother, that was a big deal to be able to do that. So uh, my dad, you know, he, he really used all the crayons in the box, you know, <laughs> he liked to, he liked to go out and do things and party. He never partied inappropriately around us or anything like that or lost total control or anything like that. He didn't have problems or, or habits per se. His habit was probably just women, you know, <laughs> and, and yeah. all the different ones he could find and whatnot. So, but hey, it was a different time, you know. So he moved around a lot. He chased the work. It sounds like a wild dad. <laughs> May he rest in peace. Um, so, yeah, I mean, what was like first day of school like for you? Like who dropped you off? And wh what was that first school for you? Do you remember like elementary school and that kind of stuff? I do. It was in Noblesville, Indiana. I went to the elementary school. My parents were still together. And I remember riding in the car. Uh, we had a little truck and going to kindergarten, you know, and just like getting out of the car and being like, okay, bye. You know, like there was no crying and sad and freaking out. I couldn't wait. I was like, all right, cool. Something different. You know, let's go do this. I love it, man. And you just segued into my next question beautifully of like, what kind of kid were you at those young ages? Sounds like you were just pretty bold and, and just doing your thing. But how would you describe yourself as like a young Jonathan? A young Jonathan was a chubby little timid kid who got bullied a lot. Oh, wow. <laughs> but... I loved everybody. That was what was crazy. They could beat me up and I'd still invite them to go fishing with me, you know, wow. and they would. And they'd stop beating me up, you know. And so, like, it was a weird, weird. <laughs> I'm sure my parents were like, I don't fucking get this kid. You know, we try to rough him up and then this, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I, I was just social, you know. I was like a social butterfly and I really didn't have enemies per se. I just, just observed uh, dude, that doesn't surprise me one bit, knowing the kind of guy you were around Wyndham, man. And when we would be working, it's like, everybody loves John. Yeah. Any names come to mind? Do you remember some childhood friends? As a youngster, I had one childhood friend named Ryan, and I can't remember his last name. We were like nine, eight, something like that. But he was from the Netherlands, and that was fascinating to me. And he taught me to say, which he told me meant shut up. So I said it to my sister. <laughs> every fucking day without her knowing what it was. He may have been telling me that I that I was saying that and it may have been a lie. You know, so yeah. for any of the any of my European friends listening right now, sorry if I just said something really bad. <laughs> Or if I completely just said the tree is green and think it meant something else, you know. I love that this many years later that you remember it like as clear as day. I again I'm always trying to wonder how art starts to be a part of it. Like I said, I know your parents and family were already creative, but let's see. It sounds like again, two places. So Indiana, what was the town again in Indiana? It was Indianapolis, you said. Indianapolis, yeah. yeah. A little time in Noblesville and then and a few different towns around Indianapolis, but primarily you could just say Indianapolis. Okay, so Indianapolis. And then in East Tennessee, what was that town that you had grown up in for those teenagers? I grew up in Union County in a town called Maynardville. It's like it sounds. There was one flashing caution light in the whole county. Oh, my. Very small town. And I thought I was the smartest person there. I did. I, I really believed it. And I got my ass kicked a couple times for it. <laughs> and that proved it. <laughs> but I was not the smartest person there, for real. You know, there are some brilliant people. But it's the same county as some names you might know in music. So Kenny Chesney, yeah. Roy Acuff, 
Chet Atkins. Those guys all came from the same town. That's incredible. Yeah, so we moved to a farm out there, and I just learned to be a farm kid. And I did have one friend growing up in school that he befriended me my first day in the ninth grade. And we've been friends even to this day. We still talk. His name is Jesse. It's Jesse Byrne. All right, Jesse. My best friend uh, of the longest duration, you know, so. That's Amazing one, man. I, I think, uh, man, I, I, these episodes, I'm trying to keep them at an hour. I, we could talk forever, man, but I will wrap up Circle Two with this question of, you mentioned country music. Of course, Tennessee, of course, country music is everything there. Was that the first kind of creative influence on you? I mean, during those, like I said, youth years, I don't know if you saw photography and filmmaking coming, but what kind of impact was art and creativity having on you at that moment? At that moment in Tennessee, it was not my first time. So when I was young in Indiana, we had art projects and whatnot, and I just kind of went nuts with that, you know, but that's just kind of like, you have to do something, so go do it, you know, like you can't eat the Play-Doh, you got to fucking build something out of the Play-Doh. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but then in my high school years, my dad was in this cover band and I went out and tried to get a job and I worked at a local farm and I worked at a grocery store and I hated all that shit, man. I was like, this is stupid. I'm tired of fucking asking people if they want their bread in a sack. You know, yeah. like yeah. it's already in a yeah. fucking sack. You know, <laughs> so like, that was my mentality. So then I had gotten pretty good at guitar by then. Yeah. And my dad recruited me to be the lead guitarist in his cover band. Oh, I was wow. too young to be in a bar. So all of the bars where we worked, they had to go out and get some food. So there would be hot food on the table to make it legal. Now it was a food establishment and they could have a minor. And I wasn't even allowed to eat all the food because if I ate all the food, there was no more food on the table. We weren't legal anymore, you know, so they would have to get like more food than I would eat. And it was a weird time, man. It was cool, but it was really weird. The drunk old women trying to take me home, you know, and all my friends are doing their thing at the ball game, and I'm over here watching dudes fight. It was some crazy shit, but it was awesome, man. And it definitely, definitely lit up my artist brain. I love it. I love it. I, I so desperately want a version of this show that goes on forever and ever, three hours. Because well, that's when I fly you out here. There we go. Yeah, we'll catch up the right way, man, over some bourbon in Hawaii. Gosh, feels like we've already knocked down circles one and two. Sounds like a good time to take a break. And we'll be back with more for the Circle 5 podcast and Jonathan Russell in just a second. Hello and welcome back to the Circle 5 Podcast. Having a great conversation this episode with Jonathan Russell. How are you feeling, my man? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. Uh, having a good sounds- time. The bourbon's working. You're working. Yeah, I'm working. Man, I love it. Yes, everything is working. <laughs> We're going to roll right in. To, dude, I'm, audience, look, John's got me off my game, and I love this guy so much. He makes me laugh all the time. We're going to roll into circle three. Circle three of relationships, in my opinion, John, are, and we started to touch on this a little bit already, but is college years, if you did or did not, we can talk about that. Non-artistic working opportunities or jobs, which is where we met. We're a circle three connection, in my opinion. Yep. And any other kind of social groups that you might be a part of that are non-creative related. So if you do yoga, which it sounds like I think you told me you do, I'm already stepping on your interview time here. But yeah, that's all in circle three. So I'll just dive in. Did you go to college? Yes or no? And why or why not? I did not go to college. Um, I was set up for a music scholarship. Uh, I did play in high school music stuff and did college level performance there as well. Uh, wow. Ensemble and chorale and all that vocal stuff, and um, and then I decided to have a baby. Oh yeah, I that's didn't decide. Right. <laughs> I decided to do things that made a baby. 
Uh, so I stayed home and I worked and did my thing and I found my own way and supported a child and at that time a very early life wife situation. Um, yeah. And we didn't even know who we were ourselves at the time. But yeah, I didn't, right. didn't go to college. And how old were you when you, you had that child? 18. Oh, man. Okay. That would explain it then. 18, you got a kid. What were some of the jobs you were working? I, I can't imagine. I mean, maybe you were. Were you gigging or you no. just said, I need work? And yeah, I, mean, yeah. I was trying to give you the benefit of the doubt. Maybe you were like a rocking, you know, guitar player. So I, of, I sidelined music yeah. and in a, in a sense, I became more of a songwriter and I joined the Knoxville Songwriters Guild. We would do writer showcases in Nashville once a month. I became a member of ASCAP. And I shopped around some songs. I never nailed it. You know, I never got rich doing that. And that was okay. The industry burnt me out pretty good. But I also had day jobs. You know, I was in automotive tech. Yeah. Yeah. So I turned wrenches. I made a ton of sawdust as a finished carpenter. I worked alongside my dad for many years. Uh, He taught me the trade. So it turned out I was actually pretty good at that. So I stuck with it for a time. But before that, man, I had all kinds of jobs. I tried them all. I I worked at... uh, Heavy equipment rental company. I worked for a giant construction company being the guy that poured the concrete down the cinder block wall in the little holes, you know, and, and uh, I drove heavy equipment and I worked on race cars and I built forced induction race engines for a while and mapped out turbo and supercharger systems. And I just tried it all, man. I owned a small t-shirt printing company once, you know? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I just, a lot of things that were outside of creative. Wow, type I, that's pretty wild. And um, I, I did want to go back because you did mention songwriting for a quick second, and uh, you threw ASCAP out there for myself and the listeners. Uh, what is that acronym? What is ASCAP? Just oh my gosh, uh, Association of Songwriters, Composers, and Producers, Publishers. Uh, that sounds okay. good. That's something something okay. Like, good enough. Good it's enough. super <laughs> musicy and self-indulging. <laughs> it's a great organization that protects the rights of creatives in industry. Yeah. And they That's really amazing. do go to bat for you. I can't speak poorly of them. Without them, we would all be signing $100 record deals right? instead of million-dollar record deals. Of course. Of course. No, thank you for that. And I just needed to jump back to that for a quick second. But I understand all that different work experience. I had a lot of stuff that was non or has been non-creative uh, throughout my career, if we want to use that word. And my question is, I mean... I remember, obviously, Wyndham, we made so many tight bonds. It's so wild how those bonds have lasted and yeah. have been so easy. Did you find similar experiences in all those other odd jobs? And, you know, like you said, some med truck driving. And, like, were there other friends that you have made uh, as special as me yeah. and other Wyndham folks <laughs> over the years? Not a damn or? one. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's what I wanted to hear. Thanks for feeding my ego. Yeah, I, I made a few friends along the way. In the auto industry, I made some friends, uh, a couple friends that I'm – I would still call him friends today, but we don't necessarily stay connected. I'm far away. We stayed connected until I hit the road. You know, when I left yeah. Tennessee, it was quite a long journey to get to Hawaii. It was about three years or so of uh, yeah. running around. And um, we lost touch over time somewhat, you know, but yeah, definitely made other friends and acquaintances along that journey. I was an adventure guide for a while after all of that, you know, and that's kind of why I traveled around the country for three years in a, in a small RV. And we uh, went from Alaska to Florida and everywhere in between. And I was a class five whitewater guide and a zipline guide and rock climbing and just basically taking people who had no fucking business being where we were and letting them be there. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. And I made friends through that. I definitely have a lot of friends through the guide industry that I'm very tight with today. Yeah. 
That's incredible, John. Your life experience has been so robust. If I can, let me um, fast forward into Hawaii as it relates to that. A sub-theme for the podcast is going to be this idea of, are you a full-time professional artist or a semi-pro artist or someone that kind of works in a job that's creative? With JBR Life Media, your photography and filmmaking out there in, in Hawaii, so jealous. Are you full-time with that or are you still doing some supplemental things as well? I'm full-time. I'm, oh, I'm full-time with this. I do this in and out as my full-time thing. I hire help when I need it. Um, I'm actually in a growth stage right now where I'm contracting out some more help for larger projects. And and yeah, yeah, this is my jam. Full-time, doing your creative work, amazing. What's your downtime like? What are some extra things? I, I think you did mention yoga when we talked about setting this up. What are some of those things you do outside of JBR Life that, yeah, are also part of your social world? Yeah, well, you know, balance is everything. And when you have a job, that's already kind of there for you because you have this structure that someone makes for you and they tell you when to be there and when to get, get out of there, you know, and you find yourself being like, ah, fuck that job. I'm off, you know? Yeah. yeah. But when your job is something you made, you can be too attached to it. So I do, um, I do things to, to get away from that. I do yoga. I do, I practice hot yoga. It's a 75 minute class. It's a hard workout and I do that two times a week. Yeah. That's, that's a major component in my life actually. Um, I run, you know, I get some exercise. I like to get outdoors. I go to the beach. Uh, I, for a while I surfed. I don't really surf much these days, but I, I'm starting to pick it back up again and, and get into it. I'm not an Uber surfer. So anybody out there, you know, don't ask me if I hang out with Ian Walsh or Kai Lenny. I do hang out with those guys a little bit. But, well, Kai and his dad, but that's when we're shooting things together. It's not because I'm trying to ride 30 foot monster waves, you know, <laughs> fuck that. So uh, I'm more of a like four or five foot wave guy. You know, I'm mostly out there to paddle around and visit friends and be like, oh, no, bro, you take this one. I'll see you when you come back. You know, right? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but it's just about time in the water, you know, and just hanging out and, and I snorkel, I hike. It's, I, I actually photograph for fun, but not as much as you might think because I do it full time. That's hey, that that's a, there's a whole podcast around that as well. I can definitely relate to that. When your creativity then becomes your job, it changes everything. Feels like we have nailed circle through as well. But I, I will wrap up with this one more question because here out in LA, the surf, surfing culture is huge. I have yet to have the guts to learn it and give it a shot. But I do love, like I said, as a photographer, love watching it and shooting those guys out there. I know it's such a huge culture here. It seems like such a brotherhood and sisterhood and a family of surfers. Do you feel the same uh, out in Hawaii? Have you really found like a small community with that and oh, yeah. been close yeah. to those people? So for anybody who doesn't know, Hawaii is the birthplace of surfing. This is where it began. And the, the ancient kings would ride wooden boards and they called it sliding on waves. And that was to show that they were at one with the water and they were the dude. You know, it wasn't the thing that everybody did. You know, it was yeah. the thing that a lot of people watched. So surfing out here is a huge part of the culture, huge part of the culture. It is more than most places. It is about being out there and feeling the power of the ocean and asking it for permission to ride. Yeah. In other cultures, you know, a lot of the mainland surf is there's some of that, but there's also a lot of like, get off my wave, bro. You know, and, and a lot of that bullshit. Some of that yeah. does get here. You know, you start dropping in on top of people. They're definitely going to let you know about it in a way you won't like. Uh, sure. You know, and, and, uh, the Hawaiians say, they, they like to say, you want to throw? And that means you want to throw, you know, <laughs> so, like you want to come to the beach and let me beat your ass. No, well, I'll do it right here on your surfboard. So, um, there is that, but 
more than that, much greater than that. It's about connecting with the water, with the Aina, the land, with one another, sharing that moment together, feeling at one with nature, feeling like you've been permitted by the ocean to allow you that privilege, that moment in that time, and making sure that you appreciate each and every wave for exactly what it is. Whew. That that couldn't be more beautiful, John. Thank you for that description. Yeah, and yeah. I think all of us want to move to Hawaii now. And um, <laughs> I think that's a perfect way to end out circle number three. We'll move into circle four now. And, and John, I feel like circle four is about your love life. And we have talked about your family, like your parents and brothers and sisters, but I feel like Circle Four is a good time to talk about the family that you have created through your relationships. You mentioned your child already. I'll dive in. The first question in Circle Four is, and I know the answer to this already, but our listeners don't. What is your current relationship status, sir? I am currently married. Yes, you um, are. I am. I am married. And what what no one on this podcast, including yourself, knows is that's also in transition at this okay. time. So... But yeah, we are still currently married, but we do live separate. We are figuring out how to be individuals. Oh, thank you for that vulnerability and that honesty. I Is it okay to shout her out? I, I want to say her by name because she was a Wyndham friend also. Go for it, you, man. Absolutely. You guys should right. always still be friends. And, I've t- and everyone who knows her should embrace her. She's a wonderful sure. human. And just because yes. we don't do well together doesn't make any of that different. You are... Guys, listen how vulnerable my guest is being right now. I, hope you, I really do. I hope you're appreciating this episode of Circle 5 because, I mean, Jonathan Russell is, is laying it out there. But the shout out is to uh, Beth Russell. She was also a coworker with us at Wyndham. I'll keep turning through Circle 4 here, which is, um, you know, it, it's supposed to be a fun circle. But no. It still can be. It's totally It fun. still can be. We got yeah. this. Uh, but it's, um, you know, thinking about dating and relationships as you were growing up and now obviously a grown man, do you find that you had and have a type? I mean, is that something you kind of noticed over the years? All my types have been completely different from one another. My first wife, we were kids, man. We dated through high school. We broke up through high school. We dated again through high school. You know, we were fucking yeah. little turd teenagers. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> and then we made a baby. And then we there got married go. because all of our family was like, you got to do the right thing. And we did that because it was East Tennessee in the 1990s. You know, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> what else are you going to do? Sure. <laughs> and we yeah. made it like three years and she hated my guts and the ground I walked on, you know, and I was like, I got to go. This is not healthy for anyone, especially the child. Right. right. That was the main deal. So we, we parted. After that, I, I took some time and then I ended up with a woman who was like 18 years older than me, man. And, and we were together for a long time, even through my time at Wyndham. And, I remember. Um, I remember her. Yeah, yeah, that was Mabry. You remember uh-huh. her, and so like shout out to Mabry. Yeah. Completely different type. Super sophisticated. Came from a really well-to-do family. A lot of history of just like being plugged into the community, and you know, and all of that. And, and that was cool. It was a neat experience. And then later, that didn't didn't keep going. And the thing about big age differences is you do reach a time where you're, you're excited about a thing, and the other person has already been there and done that, and mm. they just can't even find excitement for you. You know, and so it does it does cause a problem later. For a lot of people, yeah. not everyone, wow. but you know, it, it was for me. So then, no. uh, yeah, then, then I got done with that, you know, I was like, hey, whatever, you know, here I am. And, uh, and then Beth came crashing back into my life and I was like, what the fuck? Who is this? You know, like, I know you, but now you're not you, you're different. And so, uh, again, completely different type and personality, free spirit, all about going hiking and hanging out and doing whatever the fuck and who cares what society says. 
Right. And, you know, here we are. I mean, it's been it's been 12 years. Wow. <laughs> you know, wow. that we had a run. And that's been cool. Yeah, I don't I don't know, you know, and types. Uh, <laughs> Sounds like you don't have one. But yeah. that's, that's, I, I think that's all part of the fun. I, I did want to ask you about your child. I mean, you don't have to say their name on the cast if you don't want to, but son or daughter, I can't remember. I, I have a son who is now married and I have three grandchildren. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Dead serious. Circle four. John's got a love life and a family. And um, where does your son currently live? In Tennessee, East Tennessee. Okay. And yeah, so I guess that is kind of the question to bring it all back to what we're talking about. I mean, you're running a business on your own here out in Hawaii. You got a son out there in Tennessee. How often do they visit? I mean, are you really seeing them often? And uh, We were going over there because okay. it's easier for two people to travel you that know, makes sense. than five. <laughs> so I was like, you got to slow down or there's no fucking Disney. You hear me? Like, grandpa yeah. can't afford that shit. But yeah, like we would go over there. The last time I went was two years ago. The pandemic really kind of slowed things down. But two years ago, I went over there and rented a cabin, stayed three and a half weeks and hung out in the Smokies in a cabin and told everybody, sorry, there's a pandemic. If you're not invited, you're just not invited. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's fair. And, that's uh, totally fair. Yeah. We hung out and peeked out the front door at the bears in the driveway for three weeks. And uh, Yeah. I should be going back over this summer. Actually, uh, I haven't mapped out a date just yet, but I do intend to hang up, hang out for at least a couple of weeks, go over there and rough the grandkids up a little bit. You yeah. got to, you got to. Um, and how much do they know or care that you're this awesome photographer and filmmaker out in Hawaii? I mean, do they ask you about it? Or it's like, that's what granddad does. That's what dad does, whatever. We could all learn a lot from kids, right? Like to sure. them, they're just kind of like, are we going to have lunch today? And you're like, yeah. Right. Like, man, it's a good day. You know, like we could all learn from that. So right. for them, they're just kind of like, they don't really know what it means at all. And then my son and my daughter-in-law, they're all about it. They're like, yeah, shit, yeah, you're killing it. And I'm like, oh, cool. Uh, you should yeah. stop using that credit card so much <laughs> that I pay for. No, it's cool. They, they're fine. They're going to hear this. Uh, yeah, they are. They know I'm just fucking with them. No, they're good. They got their stuff together. My daughter-in-law just graduated from her cosmetology courses, and she's now like certified in all the beauty stuff and makeup, and she's a certified makeup artist and all this. And my son drives oh, wow. a truck over the road. He makes a, a run every week from Tennessee to California and back with a partner driver. And they have a house and five acres, and you know they're doing it. Oh, they're wow. doing the thing. I love it. Good for them. The selfish part of me says, "Got to get your daughter-in-law on the podcast." Then she's a makeup artist. Oh, absolutely, uh, <laughs> man. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I'm sure she'd love it. The world will fall in love with her because she's got that sweet little southern accent. I love it, man. I love it. Again, thank you so much for your vulnerability and your honesty about your marriage and how your love life story, you've, like I said, a lot of different types of women and different types of relationships. I mean, again, your life sounds so robust. So the question I, I am interested in asking pretty much every guest for Circle Four is that how important is it to you to have somebody in your love life in that romantic partner spot that is or is not creative? I mean, has that ever mattered to you? Is Do you find yourself more or less attracted to a woman if she's creative or not? I mean, how do you feel about that? I, I think every person has their own version of creativity. For some people, go. their creativity is in running their business. You know, like, uh, I'm certainly attracted to someone who is fully invested in their own business, whatever that is, even if it's not a creative business, because that just means they have a drive, they have a vision, they believe in themselves, they're willing to push hard and do what it takes to live their own dream, you know? So I can appreciate that on a creative or non-creative level. 
Um, so that's probably more of an attraction to me than actual like artistry itself. Good call, man. I, John, I love every one of your answers. Uh, thank you. No, it's, it's, I, I'm probably, again, I'm not going to edit out any of this. I'm just going to let the listeners hear me praise you every single time you answer a question. But, uh, all right. So round out circle four. These are the quick hitters for it. Who was your first crush? You can, you can name drop her. Was this someone from Indiana or? My first crush was a little girl named Katie. Right. I don't remember her last name, you know, we were like okay. six or eight. I don't know. Like, I, I just remember that like I, her family took me to Kings Island once with her. And that was like <laughs> such a huge deal. And I think we just like didn't even hold hands, you know, because we didn't know. <laughs> and, and for us for us that don't know, what's Kings Island? I, I got to visualize this. Yeah, Kings Island is a theme thing. park, right? Like it's not like it's not as big as Disney, of course, but it's pretty damn big. And, and it's a big deal. It's over in Ohio. And we lived in Indiana at the time. So we like rode in the car together. And she, Katie and I sat in the back and her parents were in the front. And, you know, I just sat there with my little clammy hands <laughs> trying to be cool. <laughs> Shout out to Katie, John's first crush. Oh, I love it. I'm going to love that question for every guest. So first crush was Katie. And then who was your first celebrity crush? Man, I have to admit, I don't I don't remember oh. any celebrity crushes. That's okay. Isn't that weird? That's okay. No, that's okay. It sounds like you're healthier than I am. I have like a list. It's sad. <laughs> Well, that is um, that is awesome. That's a good wrap for Circle Four. And uh, we're going to take another break here. I've been loving this conversation with Jonathan Russell. This is the Circle Five Podcast. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back again to the Circle 5 Podcast. Again, I'm loving my conversation with Jonathan Russell today, photographer and filmmaker from Maui, Hawaii. John, how are you feeling? We're almost through all of this. Have you been loving this? I've been loving it, man. I'm having a great time. I'm so glad to hear that. We're going to head into the namesake of the podcast. We're going to head into Circle 5. Pretty much the only thing left in your life is to talk about your professional creative relationships and any other kind of creative collaborations that you're doing. You know, it's been obvious that you've had through music, uh, some some great opportunities and things. So I, you can answer this about music if you'd like or about photography and filmmaking. Actually, I'm a little more curious about the photography and filmmaking, but when do you think you considered it was your first professional experience, you know, being a photographer and filmmaker? What was that story like? You know, when did you start shooting? And it was like, oh, I got paid and I'm, you know, a pro. Yeah, absolutely. My first time actually shooting for money, I was in trouble at work. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, I was living in Alaska as an adventure guide on a zipline course and I had done a foul and I needed to be grounded and retrained for a little while because okay. of uh, what was considered a safety concern and rightly so. And that's totally fine. I didn't put anyone in danger. It was okay. Like it was just a, a protocol violation. Um, and the, the safety manager was like, Hey, you know, uh, because I was kind of awesome at that job and he was really proud of me. So instead of firing me and sending me back to wherever the fuck I came from, right. he decided that I should spend like four days on the ground running, <laughs> running the camera to take pictures of tourists as they zip by. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I sat in the woods hiding from bears, um, <laughs> which were every fucking where. <laughs> sure. <laughs> it was scary. You know, like they just, you'd be amazed how a 700 pound bear can sneak up on you. It's weird. Um, 
But it happened. <laughs> and I sat there in the rainforest in southeast Alaska taking pictures on an old Canon uh, 5D Mark II, you know? That is incredible. Yeah. So that was how it happened. That was my first paid gig. <laughs> yeah. That was my punishment. Hilarious. Yeah. So then uh, what year was that? Give me a timeline. How long ago was that yeah. compared to obviously where we are now? Was That, that was 20, 2012. Yeah. Now, growing okay. up, I always had little cameras. You know, I had those little 110 cameras and a couple 35 mils. And I'd shutter bug around, but it wasn't anything. You know, it was just right. me riding in a car shooting out the window, uh, not really knowing what I'm doing. This is why I'm so excited for this podcast, because this is a part of you that I didn't even know you had in you. I did know the music. I knew you were a great salesman as well. And then it was like, oh, my God, John's out in Hawaii crushing it as a photographer. <laughs> so I am so excited to be in Circle 5 with you and ask you this. So from 2012, being out in the wilderness, <laughs> being punished, yet paid to shoot <laughs> photography, when did it spark for you to say, okay, I'm going to go to Hawaii and we're going to set up shop and do this? Yeah. Thing? So 2014... We ended our season of zipline building. So we had done a bunch of adventure guide work and then became zipline builders and then managers of builds and some other stuff along the way. And at the end of that, the company ran out of work and had to lay everybody off. So we were down at my mom's place in Florida hiding from winter and it was snowing in Georgia. And I remember that year, I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like more south, we must drive. Right. So uh, we're down there hanging out and Beth looked at me and she was like, hey, we kind of got to figure out our life for 2014. What are we going to do? What do you want to do? And I was honestly, man, I was pretty burnt out from adventure guided work and construction. Yeah. I didn't want to do it anymore. And I just said, I want to be a photographer. I've always wanted to be a photographer for many years, you know, and Let's do it. We got this camera. You know, at the time we had a little Rebel T3 we bought when we left Alaska. And that was yeah. it with a kit lens. And from there it started, man. And my first gig with that was a second shooter at a wedding. Um, then I ran around shooting all kinds of stuff, man. I found a gig on Craigslist. I, everything was on Craigslist at the time, you know. So I shot some popcorn for a local popcorn maker. Then I got a gig uh, shooting a couple more weddings. I traded my tools for a camera. I traded a paddleboard for a camera. And... We ran around just doing what we could. We shot a few festivals, and then I got a gig. This is the gig that actually kind of put it on the map. We got a gig shooting for an ad agency that landed a contract for Anheuser-Busch. There it is. And they needed photos from about 30 cities, and they couldn't get 23 of them covered. And because we lived in our little RV and could drive our home around, we were the fit. So Beth, you know, I got to hand it to her. She called them and negotiated a better pay deal. And said, hey, look, it's not worth it for the money you're offering, but we'll do it for this much and you need the help. And they were like, okay, here's 23 cities on the eastern coast. Do it. So in a matter of about three months, you know, we did two loops around Florida and then boogied up the coast and hit the northeast and then the Midwest and sold Budweiser about 1,100 photos. Uh, shot a couple of those color run races, a few weddings. Uh, along the way and that kind of drifted us across the continent to get out to the east to the west coast and we settled in the pacific northwest then i got a job uh shooting drunk people at a saloon in olympia washington at big whiskey saloon shout out to them i watched people get bucked off a buck and horse bronco thing you know the bull the mechanical bull that was some good entertainment, man. <laughs> like, if you've never photographed that shit, you should try it. It's a good time. <laughs> I challenge you to be able to actually look through the camera. 
<laughs> That's incredible. My gosh. No, thanks for that story. So it just was this gig with Anheuser-Busch and then boom, you're in it. You are a pro and you're doing it. So then my, my question then comes to when did the jump to Hawaii happen and how did you set up shop in Hawaii? Say, hey, I'm Jonathan Russell. Here's my wife, Beth, and we shoot. We're here. Give us money. Like, how did that all happen? So we were living on the Oregon coast. We had kind of roamed around, parked there for a few months. And we actually, I was about to give up on it. I was at the time I was shooting vacationers coming to the coast and vacation rental properties. I had yeah. gotten with a company and learned how to use a flash kind of, <laughs> you know, it was just like making it happen. And, and I was doing it, but we weren't really getting like, we were kind of getting by and it was cold and rainy in June. And we were like, man, fuck this. Yeah. So we actually were making a plan to go to New Zealand and become raft guides again. I was, I, I was ready to give it up. I couldn't do it. You know, I couldn't make enough money to really feel like it was worth it. And in the local Oregon Craigslist, an ad popped up. Hmm. Come to Hawaii and photographed vacationers on the beach at the resorts. And I was like, look at this scammy bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I showed it to Beth. And I was like, hey, I think this is a scam. What do you think? And she's like, I think it's totally a scam. But I think you should reply how you think you need to for good practice. Not you what go. you think they need to hear, what you want to say. So I did. I wrote them an email and I said, I think you're a scam, but in case you're not, you kind of lit up a little dream in my head and here's my portfolio. And if you're, if you're real and you kind of like what you see, hit me back. And they did the next day wow. they called me and wow. within one month we had sold all of our stuff again, closed that business and moved to Hawaii. Our car was on a boat and I was down here in South Maui photographing tourists on the beach for this company. Wow, John. Your, again, your life. I hope our listeners are appreciating this journey that you've taken us on. Uh, <laughs> so then it starts with that. And then how does real estate come into yeah. the picture? Now there's drones. Now we yeah. are crushing it with all this beautiful architecture. Please take <laughs> us through that transition. Sure. Yeah. So I worked with that other company about six months. Um, I knew long ago I wasn't really built for working for other people too much. You know, yeah. so we knew that was probably a temporary transitional type thing. Uh, once I got here, started getting the lay of the land, realized that working with them was more money than I had made, but not enough money to live here. Because if anyone doesn't know, it's expensive to live here. Like avocados are five bucks. Oof. Milk milk is 12 bucks a gallon, you know, like a uh, 500 square foot condo is two grand a month. So wow. it's hard. You know, you got to really change your scale of thinking. Uh, sure. in terms of money and what you charge and what you earn and all that. So I was like, okay, this horse is getting tired and it's time to get off and find another one, you know? And, um, so I decided to get back into real estate photography. I've always had a passion for real estate and architecture through my building career. And that, you know, straight lines and vertical things make sense to me. And also I used to build the, the things that were in nice homes. And at the time, man, it was hard. It was really hard. And I'll tell you the, my secret, the way I got started. I opened up, I, my clients are going to hate me for saying the Z word, but I opened up Zillow <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. and I did an agent search for my area and I started at A and I picked up the phone and I just started fucking calling people. Yeah. There was no shortcut. There were no Facebook groups. There was no person I could be like, how'd you get started? There was none of that. It was just grab a shovel and dig. And I started talking to these realtors. And at first I started out saying, hey man, I'll come shoot something for free, you know, like, let me just try it. And by the time I got to the letter D, I had received enough no's that I realized that something was wrong with my pitch, mm. right? 
Oh, that's a Wyndham lesson. Cue the Wyndham history. Exactly. Full circle. All right. Who moved my cheese? Something's got to change, you know? So then I changed my verbiage. And when I start, I literally, this is exactly what I would say. They would answer the phone and I would say, Aloha. This is, my name's Jonathan. I'm rather new to the island. I've been here about six months. I am a real estate photographer and I wanted to reach out to connect with you. And first and foremost, let me just say, you don't know me and I don't know you and we don't even know if we can work together. So what I was thinking is, if you have an old stale listing that isn't moving, maybe I could come shoot that for you. And that opened it up. That did it. Because the problem with offering a free one on their next listing, that's a lot of risk. There's a lot that goes into setting a home up to shoot. And then they're just placing their bets on some random stranger. No way, dude. Their career lies on that shit. You know, it's everything. So I changed that verbiage and a couple of them gave me a shot. And from then it all just started snowballing, you know. My goodness, John, man, that that is lunch pail stuff. That is bootstrap <laughs> stuff. No, and it's very inspiring. And, and I think it, it just fits so well into what the podcast is about. It's about relationships, right? And how mm-hmm. do we make relationships? And I just love that it, for you, it was about, I'm going to make that relationship directly. I'm picking yeah. up the phone and doing it. A few more questions. Again, I wish all these conversations could go forever. Um, the the first question is, yeah, it's a little more fun. Um and it's these realtors and who these people, all these people you reached out to. Has there been any crossover? I mean, these are very professional relationships. It's you, a realtor, you got to photograph the house right so they can sell it and you can get money. Everybody can win. But has anybody become a buddy? I mean, oh, yeah, absolutely. Any- oh, yeah, okay, most okay. definitely. Yeah, yeah. You know, the nice thing is it's a small island, right? Right. <laughs> you, you learn some things. You learn, first of all, like, walk softly, man. You're going to see each other at Home Depot. Even if you're pissed off at each other, like, be nice about it because you're going to see each other later. For yeah. sure. It's a very small island. It's like 30 miles from end to end, you know? Like, shit, dude, like, it's not far. So that happens. And definitely you make bonds, man. You make relationships. Some of my clients and I have broken up and gotten back together, you know? Yeah. Some of us have, <laughs> have broken up and never gotten back together, and that's okay, too. And some of us have never broken up, and we're tight. And, and the ones who have broken up and gotten back together, maybe we're even tighter. One of my very dear friends on the island is a is a broker, and I won't I won't dump his name just for his own privacy. It's but all good. I mean, yeah, yeah. He and I will absolutely go out together, talk shop, knock back drinks, listen to live music, hang out, talk about the woes of the world, fix all the problems of the world together, talk about how dumb people are, whatever it is, you know, and how great we are. Of course, that's what you do, of right? And, yeah. and he's a hell of a guy, and. These days, he doesn't even hire me that often because I, I'm a little too expensive for most of his listings, you know? Like, most of his stuff is normal people homes. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and when he gets a, you know, a home that's more like a Zuckerberg or, Jay, or Bezos home or some shit like that, you know, then he'll call me and we'll have a good time and it's great. And he knows wow. that that's okay and I know that that's okay. Polyamory in business is a healthy thing. <laughs> It's good for you to make sure your clients know that they're not cheating on you just because they have someone else to do the things you don't really want to do anyway. You know? That's so, so perfect. And my yoga instructor, one of my dearest friends on the planet. Love it. She means the world to me and is also a realtor and we do projects together. And cool, man. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's it's a cool life. And, and I, I try to encourage people to embrace that no matter where they are, whether it's a small island or a giant city. Like, forget the go-getter business part of it and just be a human, you know. 
John, I think you just wrapped up Circle 5 perfectly, man. And I I, I had one more qu- – it's not even worth asking now because that was just such a beautiful maybe. and poignant way. To, what's that? Maybe, maybe. Okay, well, all right, then fine. I'll, I'll throw that last question at you because you kind of touched on it in your relationship with your realtor buddy. I love how you said it. You said, you know, like some of his listings are just not in my pay grade anymore. And so the, the final question, I guess, for Circle 5 then is, you know, did you envision – this part of your work in Hawaii about all of this publication and now starting to get these cool names attached. You said like Dwell Magazine, dude, I read Dwell like in college as an architecture student. That's an awesome magazine. New York Times is in there. How do you feel about starting to get kind of that notoriety? Do you have any kind of dream collaborations or connections, any places you'd love to love to be, you know, published in? You know, how do you feel about that? And, and you know, what the relationships with that might be like? Yeah, you know, it... This touches on something we mentioned earlier during our break. Yeah. I had mentioned to you that sometimes I have a little bit of imposter syndrome. And this is where it sometimes is. it comes in, right? Because I'll be honest, I shoot homes that are 20, 30 million dollars and it's awesome. Yeah. But I definitely go into each and every one of those with a little part of my mind thinking, do they know that JBR Life Media is just Jonathan from East Tennessee that used to fucking chase cows? You know, like, come on. If they find out, we're all done. You know, but they do know, and that's okay. And so I've worked through that, and and um, I never dreamt this for myself. One of my mentors on the island, his name is Travis Rowan, and he is the OG, man. I mean, he started this stuff way back in film days when you would use a Polaroid back to dial in the lighting and then swap it out for a film back, right? Like, big deal. Yeah, and he and I are tight, in great part because we both share the concept that we don't have competition, we have professional peers, Right. I don't view anyone that does what I do as a competitor. I view them as a professional peer. And so because of that, we hang out and we talk and we talk shop. But I used to see his stuff when I first got here and I would literally say, I'll never be that good. I'll never be able to shoot that kind of stuff. And one of the high points in my life was just a few months ago when he and I were on the phone together. And he said, I got to tell you, man, I finally feel like I have an equal on the island for the first time. And that was a huge deal to me. You know, and it, it, I never dreamt this. I, I never wake up and think, man, today I'm going to get in this publication or that TV show or anything like that. And it blows my mind, you know, when, when we get to do productions and I have actors and people who have been in movies on my set and we're doing lifestyle productions to show how a house lives with humans. And it just, it floors me. And I think that the, the takeaway from all that is a measure of hum, humbleness and humility can always keep a person grounded through any level of their success, whatever that is, you know, and it's really important to hang on to that. Otherwise you lose yourself and then you become weird about your job. I'm so glad I asked you that last question (laughs) because man, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this as much as I have. That was a great way to end out Circle 5, John. The last little section is just some personal thoughts and reflections, you know, after we've had this great conversation about all your relationships, man. You know, when it comes to this balance thing, you know, and balancing out all these different relationships, just overall, just kind of a, a, a wide lens, no pun intended, two photographers talking here, you know, a, a wide lens view of it. How do you feel like you're doing with your balance between all the different kinds of relationships in your life? And with that, do you have any kind of like tips or, you know, insight you'd give to listeners or to myself about that? Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. So I feel like I'm doing a lot better these days. You know, one of my big transitional stages right now is a result of imbalance. Uh, the reason for the transitional stage is a result of imbalance, you know, and my tip to people is it's cool to be passionate about your work and about your artistry. It really is. It's important. 
vital. If you don't have passion, it won't ever really happen for you, you know, uh, and you should find whatever the fuck you have passion for and quit trying to make that happen. But that's another conversation. So um, with that, passion can become obsession and obsession can become the death of relationships around you. So it's really important to meter that and find the balance and make sure that you stop your passion when you don't want to, to make sure to go out and do things for you and others and put that time in. It's like leaving a place with a reason to come back. It's like making the child get out of the the pizza joint with all the arcade games and shit while they're screaming. Why do you do that? Because you want them to be excited for the next time you bring them back there. And the same goes with our artistry and our passions. So to everybody listening, if you take anything away from this, just take that. Find balance and don't become business owned. Be a business owner. John, you just... Thank you for that, man. You just schooled me and hopefully all of our listeners. This has been amazing. I've got two last quick hitters and then we'll get into our outro stuff. First quick hitter is in the next 30 days, I need more what? Fill in the blank. Well, at the rate I'm going, maybe bourbon, but for real, uh, in the next 30 days, I need more time focused on myself. I love that. And then the opposite. In the next 30 days, I need less of what? In the next 30 days, I need less concern about if I'm still going to make it. We'll leave it at that. That Let the listeners ponder that. Yeah. Uh, and then is there a shout out that you'd like to give to any person or group of people that you wish you were in touch with more? Anybody that you'd like to say hey to? Oh, that is a good question. Well, you know what? In the spirit of this podcast and our connection and the history that we share, I'd like to give a shout out to all of the Beer Night crew. And I'm sure they're all going to be listening to this and this is going to get forward to them. So I don't necessarily have to put out their names, but to every one of them, each and every one, uh, shout out to you guys because without you, I wouldn't have started down the path of learning balance and friendship and camaraderie. Amen. Amen. Shout out to the Beer Night crew. Uh, Jonathan Russell, we have reached the end of my questions. We have touched all five circles. And uh, do you have any shout out to a creative project that you'd like people to pay attention to soon? If so, let us know. If not, is there any kind of social group or anything that you do in the world of activism you'd like people to pay attention to? What what are we going to put on display? That is a good one. Um, You know, I don't have any projects coming up necessarily that I can shout out. A lot of them are high profile and kind of private. So uh, they're they're big fancy houses where you still got to jiggle the handle. Uh, But but I would say as far as local things, yeah, I I would say, um, how about this? Any kind of outreach in your own local area, something that gives to the people where you live and work and play, you would honor me as a listener by reaching out to something in your own community and becoming a part of it, whether that's through a monetary donation or just actually going out and rolling up your sleeves and picking up a piece of trash off the beach or off the street or wherever it is you live or feeding somebody, something, invest in your own community and watch your whole life improve. 
I think that's a wrap for this episode. And uh, before we go and sign off, I will put it in the show description. Do you have some ways that you'd love our listeners to keep up with your work, uh, your website, social media, shout them all out and I'll type them out anyway, but go ahead and let them know. Yeah, you got it. Uh, you can definitely find me on Instagram at JBR Life Media. Also, same for the website. The website's kind of new, so I'm real proud of it. Check it out. It's jbrlifemedia.com. You can probably find me on Facebook there too. I don't really frequent Facebook too much these days. And um, you can definitely reach out through any of those venues and reach me personally. If you got questions, reach out, talk to me. I do mentorships and whatnot. I help photographers, I help business owners in this field and I'm happy to connect whoever you are and wherever you are. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the end of the episode. Jonathan Russell, thank you so much, my friend, for being with me. And uh, I'm so glad we did this. Oh, Mallory, thanks for having it, man. Uh, this was, it was an honor to be here. Yeah, definitely a good time. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Circle 5 Podcast, a conversation with Jonathan Russell, photographer and filmmaker from Maui, Hawaii. Before I sign off, please be sure to like, subscribe, follow, give a rating, or do whatever you can to stay connected to this podcast. If you're an artist out there and you're interested in being a guest on Circle 5, I would love to have you. Please come share your story, thoughts, and experiences with our listeners. One of my not-so-subtle goals with this podcast is to champion artists and the arts. Whether you're a full-time professional artist or a semi-pro one still working hard on your aspirations and dreams, your story is valid and has a place on this podcast if you'd like to share. My email is mallory at circle5podcast.com. That's M-A-L-L-U-R-Y at circle5podcast.com. Please reach out and I'll set up an episode for you. Thanks again for listening. My name is Mallory Patrick Pollard, and this has been the Circle 5 Podcast, conversations with artists and creative professionals about life balance. God bless and take care until next time.